0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open me to uh, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, uh, toward the end of the chapter, is where we'll be this morning. We will be um, completing... Romans chapter 15 this morning, uh, and that means that next week we will be beginning our last chapter uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, Now if you're a visitor here with us, uh, that may not mean that much to you, um, but you are being invited into this morning on the final stretch of what has been a two and a half year journey through uh, Paul's letter to the Roman church. And so we are coming to a close on chapter 15 and beginning chapter 16 next week. We have been journeying through this book slowly, on purpose, because in this book we have the clearest, most thorough articulation of the best conceivable news in the universe. There is a righteous God who created everything. And we are an unrighteous people who do not worship Him or honor Him as He ought to be honored. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to live the righteous life no one in this room has ever lived and to die on a cross to take the punishment for all of our unrighteousness. The best news in the world is that God has made a way For you to be declared righteous in His sight, though you are not actually righteous. What does justified mean, church? Declared righteous. We learned in Romans the depths of our sinfulness and the heights of God's love for us, and just how amazing it is that He would send Jesus to do what we could not do, to die the death we deserved to die this message is what is explained so clearly in the book of Romans and this message is what changes our lives in this room and this message is what changed the apostle Paul's life who wrote this letter for so for uh Chapter after chapter, we, we, we dove into the depths of this. But now in chapters 15 and 16, we come to the end of what is an actual letter. So Paul is now uh, not just diving into the doctrinal depths that he did in chapters 1 through 11. Now he's providing some practical, logistical information about his travel plans. He's writing to the Roman church about what he plans to do, what he hopes to do here in a couple of weeks. He's going to list all the people that he hopes to see in Rome, who apparently he has ministered with before in other places. And, and so you're seeing these sort of like final greetings and you're like, well, why are we going to spend whole sermons on what are final greetings? Well, it's in these final greetings that we see all of Paul's theology he articulated in the first uh, part of the book now fleshed out in how he plans, how he thinks, and how he even talks to the Christian church in Rome. What we're going to see this morning is is how his theology affects his everyday conversation, how the gospel of God affects his everyday relationships and, and his way of thinking about the church. So, so with all that background behind us and fresh on our minds, hopefully you're caught up by a little bit, um, Uh, If you're first time here this morning, couldn't summarize all 94 sermons prior to this one, but hopefully you kind of got a little bit of footing where you're at in this letter. And we're going to turn our attention to verse 30. And we're going to read verses 30 through 33. And then pray that God would, would speak to us through it. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ... And by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Join me in praying uh, for God to grant us understanding. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would bring this passage of Scripture that you have inspired. Bring it to life. In our minds, our hearts, and in our daily lives, Father. We, we, we come to you asking that you would help us to think how, how the Apostle Paul thought. Help us to see the truths, the deep theological truths that drive the way he speaks and makes decisions, God. We pray that this text would bring us great joy. We pray that this text would uh, stir us to worship. And we also pray that this text would do the work of convicting us. Of neglecting the precious gifts that you've given us by your grace, God. So we, we just come to you and we ask if it be your will, God. Would you speak in the power of the Spirit to change hearts and lives and stir your people to worship. We pray this by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember over the last couple weeks, Paul has been articulating his plans. He has an ambition to get the good news of Jesus to the places where it's never been preached. The good news that we just described in, uh, just a few moments ago, he, he has a burden for people living in places where there is no church at all to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. And so, he, he's, he's lived his life for the, for the last several years of his life. He's, he's been pouring himself out for planting churches in one region. And now he writes to Rome, farthest west that he's ever been. And he asks that the Roman church help him get to Spain a place where there were no churches yet, a place full of people who had not heard the good news of Jesus. And so this, in this letter, he's, he's requesting that they aid him to get there so he can plant churches there. And, and last week we saw that he paused and said, but before I can do that, I've got plans to go to Jerusalem. I have a 2,000-mile detour I need to take because there are Christians in Jerusalem dying of famine. And I've collected an offering to take to them to bring them aid. And my hope is that the Jewish churches there um, who have believed in Jesus Christ would accept this offering from these new Gentile churches spread across the Roman Empire. And so he's he's unpacked all of these desires and these plans, and then in verse 30, he he stops, and it's almost like he looks right at the reader, and, and he says this, verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. I appeal to you. He is urging the Roman church to do something. You could translate the word appeal as as an earnest plea. He is pleading with them to do something in the meantime while he is traveling to Jerusalem. But before we look specifically at what he's pleading for them to do, I want you to see how he bases his plea, bases his appeal upon the relationship that he believes he has with the Roman Christians. He grounds his request in a relationship that he has with them that is only possible by the common gospel they believe in. Truth number one this morning. Christian relationships, as Paul assumes that he has here, Christian relationships are grounded in the gospel of God. Now, I want you to notice how Paul addresses the Christians in this appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, this is not a throwaway word in the text, this is placed here intentionally as a reminder of the type of relationship that Christians are to pursue with one another. I appeal to you brothers, if you remember in Romans chapter 12 as he is articulating what the Christian community should strive to be. Paul writes in Romans 12:10, "Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor." Now, we spoke about this months ago, but, but this, this brother familial language happening in local churches full of different ethnicities and full of different socioeconomic statuses, uh, this was a phenomenon in the first century world that was divided by their social status and divided by their race and divided by their background Paul writes to groups of Christians to love one another with brotherly affection and when he uses the word brothers or brotherly there is deep meaning to it that we don't pick up on as 21st century westerners One historian, uh, Joseph Hellerman, wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family. And he, he takes you into the first century world to show you just how crazy it is that Christians thought themselves to be part of a spiritual family. He writes this, he says, The closest family bond in ancient Mediterranean society was not even the bond of marriage. He says it was the bond between siblings. Correspondingly, the most treacherous act of disloyalty in the ancient family was not even disloyalty to one's spouse. It was betrayal of one's brother. Brother meant immeasurably more to the authors of the Bible than the word means to you and me. And it was their most important family relationship culturally. Now, we're not saying that that the Bible advocates that, you know, cheating on your wife is not as bad as (laughs) uh, being disloyal to your brother. He's saying societally, Family was such a big deal that to betray brother was seen as more treacherous. And so for Paul coming in and saying, I appeal to you, I urge you on the basis of the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. For Paul, he's acknowledging something he's talked about in the gospel already. That the gospel not only offers you forgiveness in this room. It invites you into a new family of brothers and sisters living under the care of one heavenly Father. Paul appeals to these brothers and sisters based off of what the gospel offered them. Consider what he taught us in Romans chapter 8 verse 14. That all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoptions uh, by whom we cry, uh, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have one heavenly Father. and, And therefore, local churches are not institutions that you attend or services that you watch. They are families that you join based on a common faith in Jesus. So Paul appeals not to strangers, but to brothers and sisters that he hopes to join himself to when he gets to Rome. But that's not all he directs our attention to. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ. He appeals to them based on their common Lord Jesus. We have one Heavenly Father. We have one Lord Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the only way we have access into the spiritual family. But Jesus becomes more to us than just access. More to us than just means to an end. To the Christian person, Jesus becomes not only Savior, but he becomes Lord or leader of the life. And so Romans 10, 12 says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing on him riches and all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This means that that Christian in this room, if you are a are a Christian, put faith in Jesus, then Jesus is your Lord, meaning he is leader of our lives. He's his mission is our mission. His way is our way. And so this common Lord brings us into deeper connection with one another because we're all want ultimately the same thing. I mean, ultimately, we Christians, no matter how different we are, what jobs we work, uh, what our personality are, uh, we are joined because we are fighting for the same things. We are being led by the same person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter our differences, we have the same ultimate desires. We want to know the Lord and make him known. Romans fourteen seven. none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This common life purpose unites us. And so it makes total sense that Paul would appeal to them and would urge them based upon the fact that we have the same Jesus leading us to accomplish the same mission. How wonderful would the camaraderie be in this room if all of us had Jesus as our ultimate aim in life? I mean you think about um, camaraderie you know, amongst troops in the military and how deep those bonds are are made or in a much l- lesser scale uh, you think of camaraderie on sports teams Um, there's such a deep bond between people that you play sports with for three or four years in college and and why is that well there's a common goal a common enemy a common need if if my brother fails then the whole unit fails if my sister fails then the whole unit fails there is a corporate striving together to accomplish the same end and thus Paul appeals on the basis of We've got one Lord Jesus. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Last thing that he points your eyes to is the reality that the Christian life and Christian relationships are not only a matter of external or positional changes. The gospel is a promise of an internal experiential change. The gospel of God offers you a new Heavenly Father, a new Lord Jesus, and a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out the the commands and leadership of the Lord Jesus. The gospel of God not only saves you, it changes you and we don't have to rely upon our own strength to pursue christian relationships and unity we rely upon what the lord promised us in the power of the holy spirit we have one heavenly father one lord jesus and we have one spirit of love this was promised to us in romans 5:5 5, 5 that we read just a few moments ago that that and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you not only have the mandate to love brothers and sisters in Christ, you've been given the capacity to do so by the miracle work of the Holy Spirit. If you're in this room and you have no deep relationships with other Christians and no desire to have them and you believe that maybe you are incapable of having them because of some sort of personality quirks or some sort of whatever fill in the blank. If, if you have no deep relationships with other Christians who are grounded in the gospel of God there is no excuse that you can have that is biblical. The, the Bible And the gospel that's been promised to you has has laid out this reality that the Holy Spirit of God's love is poured into believers that they have the capacity to love one another and walk in relationship to one another. And so if you're in that place, do not mourn over what you sense that you lack. Rejoice that God fills up what is lacking. And plead with God to help you pursue deeper relationships with Christians. Plead with God that he would give you love for people that you do not have. And give other people love for you that they do not have. And watch the Lord be pleased to answer those prayers. Now, I want you to see what Paul has done here. Um, He has grounded his appeal to them based on the relationship that he hopes to have with them as Christians, and he does so by appealing to the fullness of the triune God and what he does in the gospel The actions of the Trinity are the framework for which we understand the fullness of the implications of what Jesus has done. Look at it. God the Father adopting us as his children. God the Son saving us and becoming our Lord. God the Spirit filling us with the love of God. We Christians are united in relationship by a power stronger than ourselves. That is the fullness of an eternal God. Romans 1530, we'll keep moving since none of y'all cared about that. Romans 1530. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, man, that's the fullness of God, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What is Paul longing that this community of faith do? What's he pleading with them to do on the basis of their gospel-grounded relationship? Pray for me. Truth number two, Christians minister to one another by praying together. Paul wants this church, when they gather together, one of the things he wants them to do is give yourselves corporately to prayer for this trip to Jerusalem for me. He doesn't want them to just say a prayer. He wants them to strive together in prayer for him. Now, this word, strive together, only time it shows up in the Greek New Testament. And listen to the ways that it could be translated contend along with me in prayer share in the contest help me fight on the same side of one another in prayer paul is advocating for the christian community to wrestle in prayer to 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 labor to, to grind it out in prayer for the glory of God and to, to fight with Him in the same mission via prayer. And Christian, there is something to be said here about the way we persevere as Christians. We persevere together through prayer. There is a war to be fought in this room right now. If you, you feel like my words are falling on the ground in front of me, and there are lost people in this room right now, there is a war to be fought through prayer. There's people watching online whom I don't even know who will go to hell for eternity lest they turn to Christ. There's a war happening in this moment. How do we wage it as Christians? We wrestle in prayer. When we gather on Sunday nights for our prayer service, we are not fulfilling some obligatory special duty so that God will not be mad at us anymore. We do not pray to check off the box that God might be pleased. We we pray because we need access to a powerful God who wages war on our behalf. We are fighting for our brothers and sisters whom Satan wants to devour through our praying. We are wrestling in prayer for the salvation of the lost, the crucifixion of our sin. We are slaying the sin of pornography in the lives of our brothers through our pleas that God would deliver them from the temptation. This is one of the ways we primarily persevere as Christian people we wrestle in pleading to God and we do it because we believe that God has ordained our our prayers to be powerful notice that Paul is not urging them to pray for praying's sake He is urging them to pray for God to actually do something. He's praying, assuming that God responds to the prayers of his people. Listen to it. Romans 15, verse 30. Listen to the the causal clauses or the that or the because clauses. He says, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. There are specific requests here. Paul's been warned that he will be killed if he returns to Jerusalem and he would like not to be killed. <laughs> he, he hopes that when he brings the offering from the Gentile churches, it will be accepted and it will cause the church to glorify the God of the gospel that motivated them to give. He hopes to return to Rome so that he can get to Spain. And so he says, labor with me, wrestle with me in praying because he believes God is totally capable of answering each of these requests. Do you realize in praying for this, this means that Paul believes that God is sovereign even over the human will. Please pray that I not be delivered into the hands of the unbelievers. Pray that my offering might be accepted. He's praying, recognizing that God Almighty in a moment could change the heart. Of he who seeks to kill Paul because Paul preaches Christ, and he can change that heart to be a person who preaches Christ. Why does Paul believe that? Because it happened to Paul. <laughs> He was going to kill Christians in Damascus. And then in a moment, the sovereign God overcame his sinful will and drew him to faith in Jesus and made him a preacher of Jesus, not a persecutor of those who follow Jesus. Why does he say, labor with me in prayer? Because there is power in prayer to a sovereign God who has ordained prayer as the means through which he acts. So at the end of the day, you don't get any of the credit. God gets the glory. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful to answer prayer. And I can say this with great confidence this morning, that there are people in this room, this morning, that have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life and have been baptized in this church because of wrestling, persevering prayer for them by name in this room on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. There are people that will be in eternity for heaven and in heaven forever as answered prayers prayed in this room. I can say with great confidence this morning that there are some in this room and especially in the last service and both these services, that have your names written in my own personal journal and by God's grace you have a little notch by your name because at one point you were dead and dying and going to hell and by God's grace he answered prayers and now you have life in Jesus. Now leave those in there to remind me that we pray because God is powerful to answer prayers. And man, it is a shame that I have watched some people who were saved as answered prayers who then think themselves too busy to come and pray for others. It is amazing to me what we will spiritually deprive ourselves of even when we know the facts of how good it is for us. And for the souls of others. Maybe. You're here this morning. You're like. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds great. But, but what about when he doesn't answer prayers. Or he's not answering prayers. I, I want you to turn your attention. Uh, to one more element of Paul's prayer. In, in verse 32. As he's urging them to plead for him on his behalf. Look at the phrase that he adds in there. So that by God's will. I may come to you with joy we we persevere together through prayer we pray because god is powerful to answer but but we also we pray to align our will with god's will paul adds this subtle phrase by god's will he he asked for what he for what god wills to happen Uh, Paul asks what he wills to happen, but then he submits himself under the will of God, recognizing that God's will is better than his will. I don't want God to answer bad prayers in bad timing because I'm not as smart as him. I am thankful for many prayers that God has not answered the way that I would have liked for him to answer. Shoot, I might, be, I might be married to a different woman. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I prayed for dumb stuff as a high schooler. <laughs> Praise God He didn't give me the things that I thought that I wanted in those moments. There is a sovereign will that is wiser than our will. So when we pray, yes, we pray for God to work. But then we also pray from the perspective of the created, non-sovereign creature. So we pray like Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, God, you know what's best, not me. So we pray asking God to display power, but we pray to ask God to align ourselves with his providence, his sovereignty, and his choice of how things should play out. And and we as Christians that have the full Bible, we have the luxury of reading how, Paul, how God actually answered these prayers. And we we kind of get to see the story as it transpires after Paul's urging for them to, to pray for him. So, so we know from reading the book of Acts that Paul's offering was accepted in Jerusalem, that Paul was not killed by the Jews, and that he did, in fact, make it to Rome. But he made it to Rome... After he was arrested in Jerusalem, just 14 days after arrival, he, he ma- would make it to Rome as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. <laughs> After beatings, after imprisonment, after standing before courts being falsely accused, he would not make it to Rome on a cruise liner. He would make it on a prisoner ship that would actually have a shipwreck on an island where he would be bitten by a snake. And I mean, like all these things would transpire. God didn't answer his request exactly how he would have liked, but God answered his request by the will of God that Paul submitted himself to. So we pray by God's will, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in the company. Truth number one, Christian relationships are grounded in the gospel of God. Truth number two, Christians minister to one another by praying together. The last thing I want you to look at is uh, this ultimate desire that he has, or this, this desire that he has to get to Rome. And I want you to see this assumption that he has. Truth number three, number three Christian fellowship is refreshing. He, he, he longs for the day he, that after thousands of miles of wearisome travel, danger at every side, sickness and shipwreck and persecution, That he would land in Rome and have some time before going to Spain, have some time of joy where his soul would be refreshed. And this he assumed, believed would happen through the Christian fellowship of the church in Rome. And we've seen this all the way since chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, over two years ago, we looked at these words. Verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This, these verses struck me like Seven years ago, the first time that I ever taught through this, because I'm thinking here's the Apostle Paul, the most prolific church planner, theologian, pastor. He's written 13 letters of the New Testament, and he's writing to this just random group of Christians, and he's writing to them, and he's saying, When I get there, I hope to be encouraged by you. I hope mutual edification happens here. There are people with spiritual gifts present there that will edify, encourage, and strengthen me. He makes that assumption based off of what he believes about the Christian church and fellowship. That each of us have spiritual gifts we bring to the body of Christ that builds up one another. And so he anticipates joy and refreshment, like being in a in a dry and weary land uh, uh, for for a long time, and coming to drink from a cool spring. He envisions the day where he fellowships with the people of God. And if I'm honest, I feel Paul's longing. I mean, even now. Um, Obviously not to the extent, I'm not shipwrecked on an island, being bitten by snakes or uh, all the things that he endured. But goodness gracious, COVID-19 has attacked far more than our physical health. I mean, it is the anti-gathering virus it is the social distancing virus. It literally attacks the primary function of the local church and the very thing that God has ordained to refresh your weary soul. And so i, I I. I feel the weariness. I feel the longing in Paul's words. Oh, that I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. And I know that there are people that feel it even stronger than I do. There's a group of people watching online right now that are waiting for their second vaccine. And they've said that they will be at church for the first time on February 14. It will be the first time since like April of last year or March of last year. And I can imagine as they're listening to this right now that they're like, I'm with you, Paul. I long for the joy and refreshment of the company of the saints. And I cannot wait until the day where we get to gather again in homes studying the Bible together and we're overflowing living rooms and people are grabbing chairs out of the closet and trying to fit everybody in to study the word. And I can't wait to the day where we're in one service in here and we are uncomfortably close to one another and we are singing to the point where the walls are rumbling in here, being refreshed by the fullness of the saints that God has granted us here in this Church, that day is coming, praise the Lord. Either either in this life or the next, it's coming. (laughs) We will again be refreshed by the fullness of the gathering of the saints. But I do want to raise a flag of warning this morning. There are many of us who are not here, not because they fear COVID not because they are high risk and legitimately need to stay away from crowded spaces, but there are many who simply do not believe God's word about God's church and they are just being disobedient Purposefully denying themselves of relationships built upon the gospel, purposely denying themselves of the ministry of corporate prayer and the refreshment of the fellowship of the saints. And they are spiritually suffocating because of it. May we be a people who take seriously the warning of Hebrews chapter 10. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one one another. And then he says, And all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you need perseverance to make it to when Jesus comes again. Don't get together less, get together more. You need this. And perhaps this is not for you this morning because you are here this morning. <laughs> and because or you're listening online. But maybe you know someone who is using COVID-19 as a cover-up for their own sin. They are content to go to work, to restaurants, on vacation, and to the gym. But church is too much of a risk. They make no efforts To take advantage of online options or to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ who need their spiritual gifts. And these people, they're not only living in sin, but they are depriving themselves of joy and refreshment that their souls need in such a time as this. (laughs) And and as a pastor, I'm I'm watching a couple nosedive spiritually into the path of destruction because they've used COVID-19 as a good excuse to avoid Christian accountability. I pray that we'd be a church that loves them and won't let them go without a fight. That calls and texts, and shows up, and messages, and pleads with them for the joy of their own souls to be connected again to the family of God. Paul understood these to be good gifts of a gracious God for our joy and for his glory. Let me just, to get the text in front of us again, let me read it one last time, and then let me leave you with a few takeaways. Let me leave you with three takeaways. Number one, build gospel grounded relationships with Christians. Nothing about what I have said about the refreshment and the joy that comes with the company of the saints um, takes away from the fact that this is really hard work. (laughs) Like, Like it's glorious, but glorious doesn't equal easy. I mean, that's why we have chapters like Romans 12 and and earlier in Romans 15 where it's saying forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. Why do they command that? Because there's going to be stuff to forgive each other for. because there's going to be burdens to, to bear, because the church is a gathered of uh, reborn people, but sinful people nonetheless. And so relationships take work. They require sacrifice. They require you to be vulnerable. They open you up to potential conflict. They take away from your time. They they are, are uh, uh, life-sucking sometimes, because not always are they mutually edifying, but sometimes you need to be strong while the other one is weak. But according to the Bible, They are incredibly worth it. Do the hard work of building a relationship with someone that's grounded in the gospel of God. Not just because you enjoy their company, but because they turn your eyes to Jesus when you don't have the strength to look yourself. You need people in your life like that, and it won't just happen. You must strive in prayer for it and pursue it. Do the hard work of building gospel-grounded relationships and enjoy the blessings that flow from them. Number two, reflect on your prayer life. I assume all of us always have confession and repentance to do um, when it comes to our prayer life. Either we doubt God has the power to answer our prayers Uh, or we don't want to align our wills with God's will, I mean, perhaps you're here and you need to recommit yourself to gathering with this church to pray, or maybe you need to reevaluate how you make time for prayer throughout the week. If you don't have a plan for praying, you are planning not to pray. It is a striving and a wrestling, again, that is eternally worth it Last, truth, or last takeaway, number three, reach out to those who are disconnected from Christian community. We all know people uh, that are casualties of this pandemic, the isolation that followed, uh, the temptation they gave into with no accountability, the comfort that they now have in the walls of their own homes, and we have been given a responsibility by God to care for them like brothers and sisters. And to pursue them in love and to call them back to the refreshing that their souls and our souls need. And so may God work miracles through our conversations in the coming week. And, and may, may the things that drive Paul in this paragraph uh, also drive us. So let's, let's pray, ask for God to work. Father, we praise your holy name. You have granted us relationship with yourself by your grace and for your glory. And by extension, you have granted us relationship with one another. You have invited us to participate in mission that is bigger than ourselves through prayer. Father, you have granted us the gift of refreshing company and joy that we do not deserve. And so, Lord, may we appreciate it Work for it. Strive for it. May we not neglect it. Father, may we enjoy your good and gracious gifts as members of the body of Christ and the family of God built together as a temple for your Holy Spirit, Lord. You are displaying the fullness of your triune glory through saving a people for yourself and bringing them into Christian communities that foreshadow an eternity of harmony with one another and with you. So God, I pray, would you help us now? Help us now to confess, to repent, to rejoice, to pray in response to these words. In Jesus' name.